I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 110, What is Real Self-Care with special guest and author Pooja Lakshman. So Lisa, we talk so much about self-care, self-care, but I feel like people don't give us real solutions in this moment that can make a difference. It's true, right? A lot of talk, but really, where does the rubber hit the road on self-care? I am so excited to have... Pooja joining us, who is absolutely amazing. She's got this new book out. It is fantastic. You're going to, because it has solutions. Dr. Pooja Lakshman is a psychiatrist and New York Times contributor, and she's author of this new book out today. It's called Real Self Care. I love the title Crystals, Cleanses, and Bubble Baths Not Included. Isn't that fabulous? It's a great title. I knew immediately. I was like, oh, this is my woman. You did. You t- when we were talking about this, you're like, I have the perfect person. Her book outlines a program for redefining wellness, and it really couldn't come out at a better time. Pooja, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Rena and Lisa. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, we're honored, and congratulations on your publication date. It is a big deal, and so we are just thrilled. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's definitely a journey, as you both know, of kind of getting a book out and, and birthing birthing a book into the world. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're just going to get right down to business. We put out a call to questions to our fabulous listeners, and we pulled together ones that we just thought um, you can help us with so much. So here's the first one. What's the best way to schedule self-care? Is it a few minutes a day or longer stretches, less frequently? How should we think about this? Yes, this is a great question. And and I think actually sort of gets to the heart of my message on real self-care. And my answer might be a little bit controversial 
in that I, um, you know, as a psychiatrist, I, I specialize in women's mental health and I am working and I'm constantly working with patients who are struggling with not being able to find time for self-care. And my thesis in real self-care is that when we make self-care a task to check off, especially if you're somebody who is like me, kind of a perfectionist, type A, wants to do everything on the list, it just ends up being another burden. So I would actually say to this listener, instead, kind of take a step back and let's not think about self-care as something to do or something to buy or mm-hmm. something to schedule. But instead, let's think about self-care, real self-care, as a way to be. But Pooja, you know what I struggle with? I, I actually have to pencil it in because it's not like breathing or having to cook dinner, like something like if I don't do it, there's a consequence, which is at the point of my life I feel like I'm at. So how, how do you deal with people who say, okay, I took this two hours to get a massage. I feel better, but now I've got to work extra harder to make up for that time that I had for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So that is, um, you know, in the book, I talk about how we have faux self-care versus real Mm self-care. And faux self-care, something like a massage, is an activity that you do, is a product to buy. And it ends up being actually another burden on your list because either you feel totally guilty and ashamed that you can never get to it, or when you're actually getting the massage, you're spending all your time worrying about your to-do list. When you get out of the massage, you're totally just like, oh my God, I need to catch up on everything. Whereas real self-care is not a noun, it's a verb. So in the book, I lay out four specific principles. So of course, everything starts with setting boundaries, because as we all know, if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast, you know all about boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the backbone of real self-care. But once you've learned to say no, then what do you do after that? The second principle is self-compassion, which... I'll say for myself, self-compassion is so hard. It's always something that I've kind of rolled my eyes at Mm -hmm. because I kind of think, you know, like, oh, it's like very woo-woo. You're just kind of going easy on yourself. Whereas in the book, I really um, highlight Dr. Kristen Neff's framework of self-compassion, which is based on psychological flexibility, which basically means that we're developing a different relationship with our mind. So you start to speak more kindly with yourself, and then you look at what are actually my values? Like, what really matters to me? Am I somebody who it is really important for me to cook a homemade meal for my family every night? Or am I somebody that feels great about ordering and takeout or doing an easy meal prep? Or I shouldn't say easy, no meal prep is easy. But you know, like you have to sort of design your life according to what your values are. That's going to look different for everybody. And then the last principle is understanding that it is actually super powerful to be making these decisions for yourself because we're all living in this system that is totally stacked against parents and women and marginalized communities. So I guess to your point about the massage, right? One person's massage could be deeply nourishing if they are, you know, doing all the work of setting boundaries getting clear on their values, understanding why setting this time aside for them is really important. Another person's massage could be faux self-care if it ends up actually just Mm -hmm. being a time where they feel guilty about everything else. You know, at the beginning of the year in January, we went out to lunch with some girlfriends and I found, I kept saying, we kept saying to each other, oh my gosh, it felt like we were on vacation. And I realized 
that can't be just a once here. Like I need that to be able to function now. And, and that was eye-opening. But what I love about this book, you um, talk on a very personal level. This wasn't just some research you did. You talk about how you were working nonstop and being Desi. Desi, I was explaining to Lisa, is, is a term we people from the Indian subcontinent referred to as um, when you're from there, like being from, you know, having you know, families from there, you know that the, like the the cultural norm is work, work, work to yourself, to the bone. Like you just keep working. There's no self-care is probably not in the Hindi language. I feel like, you know, it was never taught to me. What, what caused you to reassess? What are your own self-practices and did it change when you became a mom? Yeah, that's a great question. So part of this book, it's definitely a very prescriptive, hands-on guide with lots of, you know, reflective questions and tools and exercises. But it also, there are some kind of memoir components too, where I share my own, you know, really actually quite chaotic journey where I was, you know, um, like Reno was saying, you know, South Asian, my father's a physician. It was always sort of assumed that I would go to medical school because I got good grades and, I, you know, I was going to be a doctor. Um, and I found myself in the second year of my psychiatry residency, um, you know, married and feeling just really disillusioned, actually, with psychiatry and medicine because, I mean, one, I was burnt out, but also I was being taught that, you know, when somebody comes into the ER and they're suicidal, you know, you prescribe medication or you refer them to psychotherapy, but we weren't given any solutions for what to do when, you know, somebody's homeless and housing is their main issue, or they were just fired from their job and they don't have health insurance anymore. So it was all these systemic issues that were actually the root cause of our problems, but I wasn't learning anything about how to fix those things. Um, so I actually dropped out of my residency, which to my, you know, Indian parents, that was like, oh that was gosh. rough. That was a rough thing. And I, I moved into a commune in San Francisco wow. that studied female orgasm. And I spent two years um, researching the neuroscience of female orgasm. And it was a really, it was a transformative time in my life. But ultimately, I left the group and came to find out maybe five or six later, years later, that it was a really dark story inside that group. And, and, and it was actually a cult. Um, so, you know, in writing Real Self-Care, it, for me, it was like this, um, this journey of, I was so disillusioned with allopathic medicine that I ran to the other side. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Eastern medicine, spirituality, all of these other alternative complementary um, modalities. I was like, well, the answer must be here, right? Um, and then I found out that there's lots of contradictory bad stuff over there too. So ultimately, again, like it can't just be one wellness practice. It can't be a massage. It can't be a guru. It really has to come from you. Um, you, you can't really just like take this cookie cutter solution. I um, was so appreciative of you sharing your story in the book. And, and honestly, I was surprised, right? Which I'm sure you're not too surprised to hear. I was surprised. Um, and and I felt like it just gave so much weight to the incredible guidance that you do provide in the book. And and I was blown away by the book. And I don't say that lightly. I'm very um, stingy reader and and really valued how brilliantly you kind of like rejected the premise, stepped us way back, and then walked us way back in to trying to sort out how to take good care of ourselves. Okay, so back to a wonderful question from one of our listeners. How do you cope with teens at the same time when you're feeling menopausal, finding it challenging? Mm. <laughs> and this mm. is an amazing thing. I will say I am right there with this mom. Like I am right there in terms of the timing. 
Um, I, I actually, I love this question because I, I think it hits on such a core problem for women, especially women in their 40s and 50s, perhaps, where you're kind of in this life stage where you your body is going through lots of changes because, you know, as women, this is this is the biological burden that we have that our body every 10 years or so <laughs> goes through a That's big right. hormonal shift. That's right. Like awesome. Yay. Um <laughs> And, and then being a parent to teenagers, which I can't, I have a son who is now almost eight months. So, um, you know, I thank you. Thank you. And I know that, um, every phase of parenting has its unique, um, challenges and bright spots. I would say from working with the patients in my practice, I think that period of our life actually Hold so much wisdom because you have made lots of choices in your 20s and 30s that have now defined you or not defined you, but that have almost sort of um, come home to roost, right? Like there's options that are no longer available for you, but there's also from what I've seen in my practice, the sense of like acceptance and like of knowing this is who I am and this is what I know that I want with my life. And I think as a parent of teenagers, and you, Lisa, obviously you're the expert in this. Um, I think that there's a way that that type of uh, grounding, like if you can connect to it, if you can step back from those moments of being triggered and actually come back to what you know about yourself and what you've learned over the course of your life um, can be powerful. Again, though, Lisa, I feel like you're the expert in this, not me. (laughs) Well, I will say Here's what I will say on the matter. I had an event this past weekend where I was in the worst mood ever, as was my teenage daughter. And um, I don't know by what miracle we found ourselves, but we actually went for a hike as a family. And whatever was going on with her and whatever was going on with me, who the heck knows? And But it did feel, I will say from my part, pretty hormonal. And my sense from her part is that it may have been pretty hormonal too. <laughs> and the hike fixed it. We were out in nature. We were looking mm. at tracks of from animals. And so what it made me think about, which is like the point you're making in the book, like this has to be built in. Like you can't be just sort of hoping you're going to feel good, right? You, it doesn't work like that. Like you have to build stuff in. And so I don't know. I don't have a lot of wisdom on this particular question, but I will say what worked for my hormone bad mood and my kids' hormone bad mood seemed to be the same thing in the same moment. And so I think that kind of being gentle with ourselves and not getting into it and not getting into an argument and being like, you know what, let's just go outside. That seemed to work for both of us in the moment. And I would say like just riffing on that, the what you're pointing to, I think, Lisa, is like the ability to let go of control mm-hmm. of any one specific outcome and just saying like, we're just going to we're going to go on the walk. We're just going to let ourselves be. We're not going to try and fix it. I want to pause right there, Pooja, and take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Ask Lisa podcast. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save 
I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. We're joined by special guest and author, Pooja Lakshman. Okay, I have another one for you. How do you teach, other than by example, self-care to a teenage daughter? Good one. Yes. You know, ever since you asked me to come on, I've been sort of like meditating on this, waiting for some like profound wisdom to come to me. And <laughs> it has not. <laughs> That's how we know you're smart. You know, you have not found the answer. <laughs> and I will say I was a terrible teenage daughter to my mother. Uh, terrible. Um, and our relationship only got better once I went away to college, mm -hmm. that, that we needed that space. Um, although I did run away from residency and, and move into a commune just to make her mad. But, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, so, but, you know, I think two things come to mind for me. So in real self-care, what I'm doing is I'm, so I'm talking about faux self-care as a tool, right? There's lots of different tools that you can use in the moment, but those tools are going to change in different seasons of our life. Real self-care is a principle. A principle is something that you can use over a long period of time that applies to any number of life circumstances and situations. And so I think with teenagers, teenage girls, we are often looking for 
a specific tool or a mantra or an activity or a practice when in fact, if you kind of step back and maybe think about what are the principles of what I would really love for my daughter to learn about herself and her place in the world? What are, you know, maybe what are like the five things that I think will give her, you know, help her develop her relationship to herself and bring yourself back to those principles. But then the tools, the way that she actually goes about whatever self-care activities she decides to engage in, whether she finds her self-esteem in playing sports or whether it's dance or whether it's, you know, her social group or whatever it is, all of that is great, but it's more about sort of those specific principles that you define, you have to define those for yourself and for her or with, with her. I mean, I love that. And actually, let me just jump in real quick. One of the ways I say the same thing, and I just love hearing you talk about it, is like coping is actually highly personal. Like what helps one person feel better is very different. You know, like some kids love to clean their rooms when they're upset. Other kids would never clean their rooms. So the way you frame that of like, you can't tell her what to do, but you can give sort of the broad outlines of how you want her to care for herself, how you want to think about her right to be um, centered and steady in the world. And and those, just to kind of give some maybe um template principles, you know, it's all the stuff that you talk about, Lisa, you know, helping, helping teens understand that their feelings, that it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have bad feelings, that they'll be able to get through those bad feelings, that they can ask for help, right? Just all of the wisdom that you're kind of soaking up here, all of those things can sort of be applied, but, but they will manifest in highly specific ways, depending on your child's temperament and their personality and et cetera. So, you know, we want to t- wrap up and sort of talk a little bit about when you're, you are caring for others. And in one instance, I want to ask sort of if your teen has mental health issues, the question here is from a parent, how do you care for yourself when you're also dealing with that? I love that question. I love that question because it's so, it doesn't come up mm-hmm. enough. I feel like there's so much conversation about how to get your teen help. Um, but really not as much um, for parents. So the first thing I would just applaud the listener for recognizing that they're struggling. And um, a couple things. One, I would say, I want to validate that it is really hard to have a teen that's going through mental health challenges. One, it's so hard to find the right provider. Um Finding a good psychiatrist or psychotherapist or psychologist is is like dating, right? You have to go through all these different trials, right? So just acknowledging that you are in this space of uncertainty and you really want to fix it, but it's going to be a process. It's not going to be something that gets better overnight. So um, kind of leaning on some of these principles of real self-care in that you're Your job is not to make all of the problems go away for your kid. Your job is to do as much as you can to regulate your own nervous system because that's going to be what actually you model and transfer to your child. Um, So certainly getting your own mental health support, whether that's through a therapist or a psychiatrist. Um, I do also think that having other parent friends that – are going through a similar struggle, Lisa, um, you're nodding. I'm sure that you recommend this. You know, you just having someone else in your circle that you can sort of vent to, um, that's accepting, 
where it doesn't also just important on this is where it doesn't feel competitive, where it mm-hmm. feels safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, what you the what you said about parents regulating their own nervous system, right? What, what kids need, especially when they're struggling, is for us to be a steady presence. And the only way we can do that is if we have a place to take our own concerns. All right, one more question for you, Pooja, before we let you go. And I know this is a big one in your book. From one of our listeners, how do I set boundaries with aging parents while remaining caring? And how do I handle my feelings of guilt around all of this? Yes. It's such a great question. Um, Two things. One, remember that if you have not set boundaries before and you're just trying to right now with aging parents, you like, I think you have to be realistic. So you are probably, if you've never done it before, you it's going to feel really bad and you need to look for yourself, especially in the cultural context. So for example, in South Asian culture, um, you know, it's setting a boundary is, is a big deal and it doesn't go well. Typically. <laughs> so true. Um, again, I had to drop out of my residency and move into a commune because I didn't know how to set boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you have to, I think, be realistic. Your parents aren't going to change, right? Because they you know, they're they're not going to change. So you have to be willing to understand what is reasonable for you, working on your communication skills, finding a mode of communication, whether it's email or text, um, and and also understanding very clearly what is your goal or what are the outcomes that you're looking for in this situation? So if it's like, just for example, if it's something like, you know, uh, my parents expect me to come over every night after dinner so so that I could help my dad with his laptop or something like that. And I can't spend, go over every evening, right? So your outcome is to deliver, your, the goal that you have is to deliver the news as compassionately as possible. And you, you can do that, you're going to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. So the guilt, then that is what you take to your therapist, right? You can't take that guilt back to your parents because they're not going to be able to provide that emotional support for you. Just like Lisa was saying, you know, with in the parenting situation, same thing applies. You need a separate space for yourself where you process all the feelings. Like the place that I see my patients get most tripped up in these situations is where you're expecting the person who you're setting the boundary with to also take care of your feelings. They're not going to be able to do that. Mm. And acknowledging and knowing that, that's such, such great advice. You know, as we wrap up here, um, you know, you wrote this great piece for the New York Times called How Society Has Turned Its Back on Mothers. It isn't about burnout. It's about betrayal. We're going to put that link in our show notes as well, Pooja. But as we wrap up, um, what is it that you hope parents out there, both women and men, honestly, take from the things that they can do that are tangible changes that could make a big difference. Yeah, I think I want folks to know that you can start right now where you are on the map, even if, you know, the idea of self-care makes you want to run for the hills. (laughs) Um, Just knowing that it really is about your relationship to yourself and thinking about how you make decisions, how you communicate with people in your lives, what is actually bringing you energy in your relationships, what's not. I know it sounds daunting, but each of these different principles and the steps that I lay out in the book, they are really accessible. And, you know, I like to say that they're, you don't have to do it perfectly. Like you just have to start, you just start and then it, it continues. It's, it's not something that you win at or that you have to be perfect at. Pooja, thank you so much for writing this book. I, I, 
have to say, what I found about it to be most compelling is that you do not overpromise. You do not offer solutions that like, oh, this is magically going to work when we all know it's not going to mm-hmm. work. It's an extraordinary combination of being both subtle and practical in its applications. And I, and I just, you don't see that very often. And you really like knocked it out of the park with this. And um, you're going to do so much good. And we are so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Lisa. That really means so much to me coming from you. Well, I only say the things I really believe. So it's true. Whole I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> Pooja, thank you so, so much for joining us. And the book is called Real Self-Care, Crystals, Cleanses, and Bubble Baths Not Included. Dr. Pooja Lakshman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So Lisa, what do you have for us for Parenting to Go? So listening to Dr. Lakshman talk reminded me of wisdom I actually picked up from a psychologist I adore named Nancy McWilliams, a brilliant woman. And she was talking about what change looks like. And she was talking about not big changes, just like Dr. Lakshman was. And she said, think of a ship leaving port. If it adjusts its trajectory by one degree, in 100 miles, it's going to hit a different continent than it would have started at if it had never adjusted by one degree. And so one of the things I found really inspiring about that, and I'm hearing it in Dr. Lakshman's message as well, is it's not going to be giant changes. It's going to be setting this boundary. It's going to be not counting on the people you're setting boundaries with to support you about the fact that you're setting boundaries. But those small adjustments, if we stick with them over time, amount to dramatic life changes. And I just want to share that because I think sometimes when we're feeling overwhelmed, it's hard to feel like any little thing's going to make a difference, but sticking with it, I think really does. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I love that what she said was just acknowledging that there's a problem here and then taking that step as you're suggesting. The combo of both of your advice, I I think is so fabulous. And next week, we're going to be talking about therapy. How do you tell what's the right course of therapy for your child? Lisa helps us better understand all of our options. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.